Welcome to this week's episode of Resisting the Dragon's Beast. I am Pastor Mark Michael Zarling. I'm here with Pastor Peter Hagen. For those of you who are watching the YouTube video, I have a speeder bike as my background. And the reason I chose that one, Peter, is because today is the last day of January when we're recording this. And I was kind of proud of myself for doing a lot of biking this month. So I was able to get 362 miles in, and it's been warm enough here. I mean, like 30 degrees is pretty warm for Wisconsin. So I was able to do almost 200 miles outside. So wow, all without wow. anything motorized, like a speeder bike. Well, but, that is, that is something. Yeah. I will, I will give you that. Yeah. And well, for those of you who are listening, I switched to a new microphone. That's an actual microphone instead of just a uh, a Zoom meeting microphone like these yeah. Apple headphones. Yeah. And so and, hopefully and, the uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for uh, Michael for pointing that out to us that we need to do better. A couple of things I wanted to start with before we get into the book is uh, I found something from uh, Hillsdale College, just a little pamphlet called imprimis on my desk this week. And so I, I read it, usually I throw it away, but the headline grabbed me is from Rand Paul. It said, lessons from the great COVID cover-up. And since we're talking about COVID, well, through the whole book, but especially this chapter, I read it. Uh, I'm not gonna read anything really from it, uh, although I did highlight several pieces, but if you can find it online, I'd encourage you to read it. Uh, I did want to, to read just, the last two paragraphs, uh, Rand Paul says, uh, meaning Anthony Fauci, his reprehensible behavior reminded me of nothing so much as C.S. Lewis's description of the moral busybody. And I have this quote in the book. Lewis writes, of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. Those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. And then Rand finishes up in his last paragraph, we, the American people, must not allow bureaucratic experts to endanger our lives, lie to us, or curtail our constitutional rights. Never again. So I thought that was that was pretty good. And then I'm going to share this article later on, uh, later this week after people listen to this podcast. I was reading Louder with Crowder. That's one of my news sources along with Not to Be. I don't always get to share the Louder with Crowder articles because there's some foul language in there. Mm -hmm. But uh, this one was pretty interesting in that it's a Simpsons uh, episode. I don't know, Peter, did you used to watch Simpsons? I'm, I'm familiar with them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I watched them when they were, when I was in college. So that was a long time ago, back when they Very were funny. long time ago. Yeah. And then, thank you. And then this is an episode from 2010 and where the beginning of the, of the episode talks about all of these people gathering together in a room and trying to gain power. And how do they gain power? It's through releasing a disease into the world and then making everyone take a vaccine. So you, Simpson, Simpson is very good at predicting the future. And here is one 
within a minute and a half, they predicted 2010 and the years following it. So I'll share that later on after people have listened to this episode, and then they can watch that little clip of The Simpsons and just see how wonderfully they predicted everything that happened in you know spring of 2020. Didn't they also predict that uh, Donald Trump would be president? Uh, something like that. Yeah, there's articles out there of the dozens of predictions that Simpsons had. All right, so we're going to pick it up on page 139. We're talking about the weak and the strong. So, Peter, I'm going to ask you this question to start out with. How did the devil use disunity among people surrounding COVID? Um, I think there's... The biggest thing is if you have disunity, you can exercise that. Um, like anything else in life, if there's a difference, then you can turn that into leverage. Um, and so when we're talking about disunity among people, we're talking about, you know, even within a Christian congregation, people who have very different approaches to, you know, where they get their news and what they think should be done um, in handling, you know, a, a disease like this. Um, you have some, you know, in, in some of our towns where even some of the, you know, some of the local, you know, science professors are on staff at the college, at a college nearby, and the pastors have their own ideas about how we should serve. You know, we should have more services, we should do more visiting, we should do um, more of all these things. And then the, the science teachers uh, from, you know, the college on the hill or whatever, um, say, no, we, we need less of that. We need more separation from people. We need to not get together because this is, this is life-threatening, this is dangerous. There is the possibility of overstatement on both sides. There's a possibility of um, emotions getting wrapped up into this and coming to a conclusion that we like to believe is a logical conclusion when really it is the conclusion that our um, emotions have already decided ahead of time that we want to conclude. And so the devil can use any sort of division among people um, to say, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, to cast aspersions on um, on people's different motivations and to then mentally talk down to them or think down to them um, or think myself morally superior because I am choosing the right reason for A, B, and C. And that's the interesting thing, you know, about um, COVID reactions as basically a case study is that people on both, on both sides of any question, whether you're talking about um, closing versus, you know, economic shutdown or masks or vaccines or you name it, uh, people on both sides could feel very secure that they had chosen the right idea and that the people on the other side were the idiots. <laughs> the people on the other sides were the, the uninformed ones. And, um, and all of a sudden people are just looking at each other and content in their own superiority yep. and looking down on somebody else <laughs> and then we get distracted by all these things, all these frivolities of life, like, are we going to close? Or are we going to stand eight feet apart or 10 feet apart? Um, rather than just saying, you know what, maybe a pandemic reminds us that we aren't lords of our lives and, um, and people die and we should be really busy <laughs> sharing the gospel of Jesus with more people. Yeah, and that superiority you mentioned, Paul talks about that, and I quote from Romans 14 several times on page 139 in reference to weak and strong Christians. 
And what Paul is talking about in this chapter are those Christians who are strong and say, yeah, we can eat food that has been sacrificed to idols uh, or just even eating meat in general. Uh, you know, like in the Old Testament, there were certain meats you couldn't eat and some still bothered the Jews. And uh, Paul is writing and saying, oh, you know, weak, you might uh, not feel comfortable eating those things. And so he's trying to get these people united where the devil is trying to create disunity. So Romans 14, verse 1 Accept a person who is weak in faith and do not pass judgment on things that are just a difference of opinion. Verse 10, but you, why do you pass judgment on your brother? And you, why do you look down on your brother? There's that moral superiority. For we all, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. And then verse 23, uh, Paul is concluding the chapter in Romans 14 this way. But the one who has doubts is condemned if he eats because it does not pro proceed from faith. Everything that does not proceed from faith is sin. And what he's saying there is what we talked about last lot, last episode, that it is contrary to go against conscience. And uh, I, I like these two last sentences that I had on page 140. The top paragraph it said, outward compliance can be compelled. Christian commitment cannot. And I liked that phraseology. And, and again, I just believe the Holy Spirit gave me the right words to write so so often in this book. And there, a, a lot of what we were being told to do by religious leaders and so forth during COVID, it was all about outward compliance, but it wasn't true love. It wasn't real commitment. Uh, so like tomorrow morning, I'm going to be talking to our eighth graders and seeing if they really want to be confirmed because the way they're behaving right now, meaning a uh, good portion of them are not coming to church, you know, that I do not feel comfortable confirming them right now. Now, I can just say, you know, be in church and they can have outward compliance and look really good, but I need to be working at getting at the heart. And mm -hmm. what we were talking about in COVID, or not talking about because we weren't talking, we're just doing, and the doing was all about outward compliance, and then inwardly, we, we disagreed. And if I were to um, summarize basically the entire book, it would be those two sentences that mm. if we just transpose the word obey for submit, um, then it's like, oh, sure, whatever the government says, we obey it and we do it. Um, however, if he uses the term submit, then it automatically puts it into the fruit of faith context where the law lays it out, there is some Christian discipline in following that law, even when it goes against our own personal preferences. But the bottom line is that it has to be a fruit of faith. Um, and so, you know, outward, I love that. Outward, outward compliance can be compelled. Christian commitment cannot. Um, I don't know if it, that line was the Holy Spirit or your editor, but I like it. I don't, yeah, it was, it was one of the three of us that wrote it. Well, two of us wrote it, one of us gave gave the other one the words. Uh, and then we talk about loving your neighbor. I don't know, Peter, did you hear these statements? Uh, Jesus would have worn a mask. Jesus would have practiced social distancing. Love your neighbor and do these things. So what, did you hear those statements? Oh, those and and many more. Just yeah, and second. so... Yeah, those and many more. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, there I answered 
No, Jesus would not have worn a mask. <laughs> he was he was perfectly healthy. He wasn't going to get sick. He wasn't going to get others sick. Jesus would not have social distance, even if people told him to do so, because he was told to do so uh, during his ministry. He was told, practice social distancing. Do not go by those lepers. And what did Jesus do? He disobeyed the social distancing mandates of both ceremonial and civil law. And he not only went up to them, he touched them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so to for Christians to try and have that moral superiority to say, well, this is what Jesus would have done. You can't throw that in the face. Jesus would not do that now because he didn't do that then. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the frustrating part is... Um that generally speaking people don't like quoting jesus when it comes to be like you know for this reason a man will leave his father and mother um or matthew 19 when jesus is talking about divorce and he refers back to the creation of man and woman as the basis for marriage and um and there are you know especially those who are on the left and politically liberal and spiritually liberal two different things um, but that they operate on the same principle that what matters isn't the external text which is what the politically conservative and the spiritually conservative say to say what are what does the text say and what does the text mean um, that's the conservative side the uh, liberal side of politics and the liberal side spiritually says what do i want um, which elevates my own will or my own emotions above the text and um, generally you know i heard these kind of statements from those who are on the politically or the spiritually liberal wing of society um however however you define it we all know uh, you could probably name a few of those people yourselves um but the idea there is that they don't want to quote jesus when he's being very clear on on what god says about um you know the institution of marriage or the responsibilities of a husband to his wife or any of those things but they want to quote jesus when they're putting words into jesus mouth well jesus um jesus was a refugee jesus was um <laughs> jesus you know would, would welcome these refugees from into his, his own household jesus would have worn a mask jesus would have done that um but it's all it's all talking in the um in the abstract yep. jesus would have which is still the basic assertion that jesus does not that Jesus is not today, that Jesus is not alive today, and that he does not have the authority to say and do what he wants today. But it's all playing on the idea that this Jesus, this concept of Jesus is your own mythical idea. And, um, and if you really believe that you are a Christian, then your Jesus, uh, your mental construct would have done these things. Yeah. Another one in 2024 now is Jesus was Palestinian. Yeah. To, and <laughs> so He's, i i started i started jewish I, yeah i started a new adult confirmation class with someone yesterday and in the adult confirmation class i wrote and if anyone wants that it's called in the house of the lord it's based on the the divine services and the new blue hymnal and just email me and i'll get that to you but we were studying the invocation and this uh, talking about who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then talking about how oftentimes people will say, like you're saying, well, my God wouldn't do this, or my God would do that. And I said, 
that's putting God in a box. That's not the true God. The true God speaks for himself. You're making your own God when you talk like that. Peter, I got a question from my study guide here. Why can we never demand how others should love us? Oh boy. I mean, the, the basic question is, um, is that really love? Um, yeah. you know, what is the nature of love? Love is, um, something done for the good of the other. Um, love is, is free and, uh, and not compelled. Uh, love is patient. Love is kind. Um, it is not self-seeking and, when we interject a command, basically a law, um, or the use of the law, then that, that creates a compulsion that creates a responsibility and a, a structure of obedience between one and the other, then it eviscerates the idea of love and turns it into, well, now I'm just doing what you told me to do. Um, and granted there is a time and a place for, you know, in our relationships, for a person to carry out their proper godly discipline on themselves. Like, I, I may not want to do this right now, but I'm going to do it. Um, you know, like I'm going to go mow the lawn when I'd rather sit on my butt and watch football. Um, who, who knows? Um, I'm going to go do it because you're not going to watch the Super Bowl because no one cares about the Super Bowl teams now. Well, the Lions are out. So yeah, I mean, there, there you go. Um, but there, there is an element of, you know, personal self-discipline to say, I love this person. And so I'm going to do this thing for them, um, whether or not that's something that I really want to do right now, but you can't really turn love, which is the you know, response of a free heart, um, into something that is a law that has to be obeyed. Yeah. I use a couple of examples on page 140 before I get to those. I, I thought then here of a meme that I saw recently of a wife who's saying, I'll show him that I'm mad at him and I'm not going to talk to him all day. Then the next part of the meme was the, the husband going, wow, it's been a quiet, peaceful day. You know, you can't, she, she's trying to manipulate him into, you know, whatever kind of feelings that she feels he's supposed to have. Uh, and so if she says, the wife says, you have to buy me flowers every week to show me love. That's not love. That's manipulation. Or I love the illustration I used of, uh, you know, when the dad brings his children to go see his mom and says, go give grandma a hug. And they don't want to because she smells funny. And, but he says, do it or else. That's not love. That's a manipulation. That's mandating a, a certain kind time of type of behavior and that's what we were seeing uh we were being manipulated and we were by, being manipulated by christians saying this is how you show love no that's not love love is an action that comes from the heart not a an action that you're forced into doing and i think together with that um you know one of the bigger questions that i've got i remember um I told our circuit pastor once, you know, he and I were just chatting and I said, you know, probably the best thing I could do is just take the next 12 or 14 or 16 weeks and preach on, on Christology and Holy Communion. And if we did those two things, that would probably be the best thing that I could do for this congregation. Um, and, and then I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Um, because if we have a deficient um, theology in either of those in our Christology or Holy Communion, we will also have a deficient idea of the, uh, the body and our stewardship of the body. 
um like jesus was palestinian no no first of all he was jewish and second of all he still is jewish um <laughs> he is a jewish man uh, who is also the son of god um but that question of how does you know love for neighbor it, it really begins with a proper understanding of of who we are as people you know anthropology um according to scripture who we are as people and then how do we take care of of ourselves before we start looking to how do we care for somebody else because it's going to end up being a very similar thing um you know you take your you take your body for a bike ride because your heart needs to get pumping and it's good for your circulation fantastic and and for me uh, because I'm against two other guys, teachers in our school, and whoever loses out of the three of us buys the other two beer. So well, hey, there's that too. There is yeah. there is that, <laughs> and so you know there's there's definitely some added motivation to win. Yeah. Um, but when we talk about when we talk about all these these concerns of how do we how do we care for others and how do we love others? It's like, would you go to a dentist who has bad teeth? Would you go to a, uh, uh, buy shoes from somebody who is walking around barefoot? Um, would you go to, and this is, this is where it gets a little, um, a little bit more closer to home, I suppose. Would you go for spiritual care, uh, for, you know, this life and the life to come, uh, to somebody who is, who is completely undisciplined and, um, and disheveled in every aspect of, of his everyday life. Um, or even when it gets to the questions of, you know, how do we love our neighbor or what should we do and the weak and the strong, um, that we need to have a proper understanding of, of who we are and how do we love the body that God has entrusted to us before we start talking about, um, how do we love other people and what does that look like? Yeah. And there I asked the question on the bottom of page 140, is it love or are we being bullied? And there's a big difference between that. I laid into our seventh graders the other day. Uh, I pretended like I didn't know when I spoke real generally, but since my wife is an aide in the middle school, I know of specific examples of picking on that can go into to bullying. And I feel like we were being bullied during COVID. This is how you will act. And that's not love. And, and so then I asked the question on page 141, uh, make, or I make the statement, demanding that others demonstrate love by wearing a mask or getting a vaccine, staying six feet apart, can be as manipulative as the Judaizers telling the Christians in Galatia, love your neighbor, be circumcised. Well, this is what Paul says in Galatians 3, the first six chapters. He has some pretty strong words for these Judaizers and their unjust demands. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I just want to learn from learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to reach the goal by the flesh? Did you experience so many things for nothing, if it were indeed for nothing? So then, does the one who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law, or does he do it by your believing what you hear? In the same way as Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So in the study guide, Peter, based on uh, Paul's words to the Judaizers, uh, how might those be applicable to us when we saw unjust demands on others for COVID mitigation? 
Yeah, and and the question is, you know, where does it where does that actually start? Does the same law apply to both? Um, is is part of it, and I think also um, for Christians, especially there's there's the question of where does first of all where does our trust really lie? Um, I think that's that's at least part of it. Okay, I have a whole lot else on that one in particular. <laughs> Yeah, but again, it's that, that thing of saying, well, this is how you have to show love. You know, the basic summary when I teach Galatians to people is the Galatians weren't saying, uh, you know, you didn't need to believe in Jesus. They were saying, yeah, Jesus is good, but Jesus plus these works, that's better. You know, the works being sacrifices and new moon festivals and uh, and circumcision and so forth. So is Jesus plus works. And that's what we were being told. Yeah, believe in Jesus, but that's not enough to show love to people. It's believe in Jesus, love him. And this is what you have to do. A, B, it was love. Gotcha. Yeah. And it was love and not love demonstrating how you want to demonstrate love. It's love. And here are the steps to show obedience. And that's how you show love. That's not true love. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and so then, um, then setting up, you know, here are the conditions, and yeah. all it is is a demand that is trying to reframe itself as something happy and fluffy and and good. Um, and the only way that I mean, Christians get sucked into this very easily because because we don't really know what gospel is. I mean, we, we hear the word and we know, oh, forgiveness of sins, Jesus has forgiven me. Um, but then then we still feel like there's more. There's more I have to do or there's more that I have to live up to or Jesus forgave me, but now I have to live like a Christian. Well, let's go back to gospel before we get into all the other demands of the law. Yeah, you know, I, I wonder about this. Were we showing love or we were we enabling someone in their fear? You know, I think one of the important chapters is the one coming up on fear. And fear is one of the tools in the devil's tool belt. And were we enabling people? You know, think of are you demonstrating love to your uh, to your daughter who is now addicted to your to drugs when you give her money because she's all out of money? Are you showing love to her or are you enabling her because she's going to use that money for drugs as well as food or the same way, maybe your mom, because she's divorced and she's depressed and now she needs help. Are you helping her or are you enabling her? And so when we are being told you have to show love to someone by wearing a mask or taking a vaccine or being six feet apart, were we really demonstrating love or were we enabling them in their fear, which is not good or godly? And uh, then I use some examples about that with, with uh, St. Paul and the way he dealt with the Judaizers with circumcision. That with uh, Timothy and Titus, you know, he doesn't, uh, you know, he refused to circumcise Titus because he was being told, you have to show love and obedience this way. He said, nope, we're not doing that. And he refused to be to circumcise Titus. Now, for Timothy, you know, he thought that that might offend the Jews if he's not circumcised. So he encourages Timothy to be circumcised. But no one was telling him to do so. 
applying that with saying wearing masks, when you were told to wear a mask, maybe because uh, you just have to say no, because you're going to enable someone, but maybe they're asking you to wear a mask because they're afraid. And this is the way for you to meet with them and then encourage them to use Christ and believe in him to get out of their fear. Two very different responses to two very different situations. And, and I guess there's a whole other, um, a whole nother side to this entire discussion on, on what is loving, whether we're talking about, um, you know, gover governors saying that certain businesses cannot be open or that, um, whether we're talking about, uh, some of the things here, like, like masks or you name it, any of the mitigation strategies, um, in relation to this pandemic that there's a massive blind spot because it is all it all fits right night very nicely with a uh a, a white collar computer connected world um because they say well you you can't go into your office you need to meet, meet through zoom which means you have your own your own computer at home you have your own internet at home you have your own um private space where you can meet uh through zoom and you can carry on your life and then you can just go um, order your groceries through the app and then have them put in the back of your trunk. But there was an entire swath of people who, who don't have that. And, um, and so, you know, you have all these young people or middle-aged people or whatever um, working at Kroger or your local grocery store um, who, who are hearing all the messaging that I, it's loving to wear a mask and they see some people with some people without They hear all the messaging of, um, you know, potential death tolls and, and health side effects and, um, and all these other people, you know, the, the majority of like the middle-class white collar, um, occupations that aren't really dealing with people a whole lot. Um, they've got the privilege and the ability to take some time off to just manage their life remotely. And, um, and there's, what about everybody else? So if we say you have to do these things in order to be loving, now here is somebody who literally cannot because their job isn't going to give them the paid time off. Here is somebody who is told, oh, by the way, um, this, this could get you very sick and this could result in disastrous health outcomes. And everybody else is taking, you know, sitting around home so that they can be socially distant, but you have to work in, in this building with, you know, 10 or 20 or 50 other people. And, and what it does is it creates this, this grief, <laughs> this, uh, this loss, this, um, this sadness, this worry and uncertainty and doubt. Um, and there's no, there's no wonder why there was such a, or has been such a mental health fallout, if we call it a mental health fallout, um, people dealing with depression or, um, or lack of direction, or just wondering what's going to come from this life. Um, because they were told you can't do these things, but oh yeah, at least for you, you have to go do those things. Um, or, or in some cases, well, you have to get this, the latest vaccine of whatever form it is, or else you're going to lose your job. Well, you don't necessarily have the freedom to say, I can go without work for a month while I find a new job that will let me go on like this. Um, and so that's the interesting part, at least for me also, is that a lot of this reaction was tailored to, to fit those who are most tuned in to the television, to um, whatever the talking heads had to say. Um, but there were a lot of people that, that weren't, 
and that didn't have the ability to go about their everyday lives um, while adhering to all the protocols that were foisted upon them and said, you have to do this or else. Yeah. And I think we heard people saying too, well, if you don't do this, if you act independently, you're going to offend them. You're going to hurt their feelings. You know, maybe because I'm getting old and crotchety, I don't care as much about people's feelings. But the key is, I am not responsible for another person's feelings. They are responsible for their own actions or reactions. That's something I teach when I talk to people independently for counseling, for anger management, or when I take my anger management counseling and turn it into a Bible class. You know, I very firmly stress to people, someone else cannot make you angry. You might feel that way, but you choose how to respond to it. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm almost done with the second Dr. Doolittle book. You know, we all know the movie, it's a great movie, uh, but there are actually two books that are combined to make that movie. There's the story of Dr. Doolittle and the voyages of Dr. Doolittle. And Dr. Doolittle is kind of an interesting character in that he doesn't get angry. Uh, there's only one instance really in, in the book is toward the end of the second one, The Voyages of Dr. Doolittle, where he gets angry. But there's a lot of things that happen to him. He just goes through life, whether it's shipwrecks or getting lost or whatever, it just goes goes on about it. He's not a not a Christian or, uh, in the book at all. Nothing about any religion is mentioned. He just goes through life. And, and I think that's the key. We as Christians... We determine how we're going to react. And that's why Jesus says, well, you're going to react a lot of times with anger. So he says, don't, in your anger, don't sin. We're going to act a lot of times with worry. And he says, don't worry. Cast your anxieties on me. Uh, and it's the same way with other people, too. Uh, we are not responsible for their feelings. Now, we want to demonstrate love, but we shouldn't uh, be forced to love. Uh, so then... Another question is now this one. This one might be a little touchy, Peter. As as we if never as deal if with those. yeah, that's right. But like you and I are afraid of touchy subjects. But I asked a question: Was it wrong for churches to dispense or even enforce medical advice on wearing a mask, getting the COVID shot, <laughs> separating by six feet, etc.? So was it wrong for churches to do this? If yes, why so? If no, why wasn't it wrong? Hmm. You want to answer that one <laughs> or do you want me to go first? I, I I'll take a crack at it and okay. I'll, I'll come at it from the, uh, from my second thought instead of my first thought is that, that maybe we, we concern ourselves a bit too much with this whole idea of authority and see ourselves as auxiliaries to that authority. Um, while also overlooking the greater things. Uh, so I'll give you an example um, that we care for the the membership of our church. And so average Sunday morning, we've got a fair number of people who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, um, many of whom are experiencing blood sugar issues, you know, diabetic of one degree or another. And um, is it my question then, is it loving for our church to say, all right, it is, um, it's Bible class time. So grab a coffee, grab a, grab a donut, grab a slice of coffee cake, uh, grab half a Kringle for yourself, whatever the case may be. You guys um, don't have any Kringle for yourself. No, we don't, we don't. No, but that, thanks for bringing yeah, it in though. I gotta, I'm trying to be all things to all people. Yes. Right. 
<laughs> and so is it really loving for us to say, um, we know you're a fragile diabetic, you had your your poached egg this morning at eight o'clock, but now sit down and consume like 57 and a half grams of sugar, while we just sit here and, and talk about the Bible. Um, I would say that is the greater thing that the greater the greater direct concern we can have for these people is at the very least provides an option that is um, maybe some maybe a fruit or maybe a vegetable or maybe some deviled eggs. Uh, one of our members makes awesome, fantastic deviled eggs. Um, and so the, the greater thing that we should be doing is something that we aren't. We should be saying, well, let's let's find a way to um, involve our people in more activity, you know, get involved with the local Y, local chapter of the YMCA, do some silver sneakers, um, and make sure that we at least have healthy options like some celery and hummus or whatever, instead of um, instead of donuts. However, we like to cloak our concern for humans under our love for authority. I think that's that's my thing mm. is, um, is that, oh, it it's on me now to be loving to you to make sure that um, that if we're going to have snacks, then I'm going to provide a healthy snack. Oh, that's on me. Oh, that that's a lot of work. I don't know if I want to do that. However, that authority says that um, that we need to be, you know, 15 feet apart or six feet apart, or we can't use the same space or go on down the list. The list is endless. Mm -hmm. And it's actually not a love for people. It's an obsession with or a love with authority because now I am obeying them and now I get to enforce on somebody else. And, um, and it just looks, you know, we just say, Oh, it's loving. No, it's not. You love authority instead of you loving people. If you love people, you wouldn't be shoving another donut in front of Phyllis or <laughs> Evelyn yeah. or whatever her name is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that. I hadn't thought of it that way. Uh, yeah. Cloaking our, uh, you know, we're, we're just cloaking our and, and love for authority under, exactly. under the guise of love for people. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the way I was looking at it is, uh, this was, a, this was something I really pushed with, pushed back against with the pastors. And they said, well, this was something, you know, we were told to do to wear masks. And I said, but the mask is, that's a medical piece of equipment. We as pastors and churches should not be p telling people anything to do with something medical. And then another pastor at conference, he pushed back to me and he said, well, it's just a piece of cloth. And that's when I said, well, if it's just a piece of cloth, then it's a pl placebo. It doesn't really work. Then we shouldn't be telling people to do that either because it's a lie. Either way, we're going to be stuck because we're telling people to do something. And I remember pastors debating this too online of when the uh, COVID vaccine came out, they were saying, well, should we stress our people getting this? And I, we're not going to talk about the COVID vaccine with, with these. I, I think Peter and I lay out a lot of stuff here. Peter added some of the, the, the graph at some of the graphs, the only graph in the whole book, Peter added that one. Uh, I think we lay out a lot of things there with the vaccine and I'll lay out some more information from not to be and so forth over the next few few weeks on the faultiness of this COVID vaccine. But the key is we need to not be in the business of telling people what or what not to do. Uh, you know, you probably get these questions from people. Well, pastor, should I have this surgery? Should I do this with the cancer treatment or should I forgo it and let God take me away? Uh, and, and the, or, 
should we move mom into a nursing home? If they're coming and asking us for opinions, then we can go and give our opinions. But that's not what was happening. We were telling people, this is what you must do and giving medical advice. And we should not be in that job because we don't have the expertise. Yeah. And, and I think I was in the exact same boat where people would be like, well, pastor, um, what do you think, uh, about, about this one or that one? And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't done a whole lot of research and I think you should talk to your, talk to your GP about that. Um, if somebody is like, okay, but you know, take off your pastor hat for just a minute, would you give this to your, your child? And I said, well, here is, here's, you know, one particular, um, voice that I heard from Waterloo, Canada, um, fantastic university there where he, he raised some, you know, interesting data, alarming data, um, about the way the MRNA interacts with your body. And that, that could be a concern for your young girls, but I'll just send you the podcast link and, um, and you can compile all the, all the risks and calculate a risk reward, uh, ratio yourself. Um, but I think when we get to this question of should we be enforcing these things, um, this question was was tackled by Pastor Nate Nass in his uh, senior thesis from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, um, where he talked about the pastor serving in a congregation that has uh, multiple illegal immigrants. And, um, and so he presented this at our Minnesota Pastors Conference one time um, when I was back in Minnesota. And there's a lot of thought, well, you need to turn them in. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, to whom? <laughs> Do we walk down to the local police station? They're not gonna, they don't, they don't deal with that. That isn't their line of, of people, um, their, their line of law to work with. Um, should I call the INS on them? Well, okay, but is that the loving thing to do? Is that the best thing to do? And bottom line, is that my responsibility as a pastor? Yep. And so it was, it was kind of funny. He had some, um, my recollection, he had some vocal, vocal voices from the back of the room saying, you need to call them in. You can't be serving these people with the gospel of Jesus, even though the government has given them some sort of limited permission to be here and is not prosecuting them. You need to, you need to be the police officer and call them in because it's the law. And one of those same guys, I talked to Nate after the conference, one of those same guys passed him going like 15 over the speed limit because, you know, he had somewhere to be. Yep. And so maybe our obsession isn't love for others, like we're so loving people. Maybe we just love authority. And if somebody's giving us the ability to, to flex that a little bit. Well, that leads perfectly into the next question on the study guide. Whew. Agree or disagree and discuss. It is not the church's responsibility to enforce the government's mandates. And the reason I wrote that question is because early on, the uh, well, what we would call the pandemic, I usually refrain from using that word, but early on when, uh, before they closed the churches, uh, the city of Racine was going to say, everyone has to go. If they're going in a building like a church, they have to wear a mask. The pastor has to wear a mask. And so I called up the three people on our city council. I think it was like three out of 16 that voted against it. And the one I talked to, he said, you're, you're exactly right, Pastor. It is, not the, it is not the church's responsibility to enforce government laws and mandates. And, you know, with that, too, is it our job then to go out into the parking lot to make sure that everyone has their 
stickers on their license plates? Is it our job to go make sure? I helped uh, a mom today. I, I gave her some food for the food pantry from our food pantry, and then she was putting her little one in the vehicle. Is it my job as the pastor to make sure that that child is in the proper safety seat? that is facing the right direction, it's not an old one and so forth. We can take that to absurd levels. The key is we are called, you and I, we are called to do a very limited ministry. That's to serve the gospel. Let the government do their government work. Let the church do our work. The problem is, and I was, and uh, I was charged early on when presenting this, so it sticks in my craw a little bit, of saying that I was mixing the two kingdoms with this book. I think it's those that are saying, well, we have to enforce the government's mandates when it comes to these things. Those are the people that are, uh, that are uh, mixing the two kingdoms. I don't want to, I don't want it to be, well, it's not me. It's you and pointing, pointing the fingers at each other. I'm just trying to point out that, like you said, we like to have authority, even when it's authority that doesn't belong to us. Yeah, and how did how did you phrase your question on the uh, the question guide again? Instead of guide, uh, agree or disagree? It is not the church's responsibility to enforce the government's mandates. Yeah, and um, that's a that's a very good question. Um, and I would uh, obviously, maybe by this point, I would agree. Um, and but. I'll just come at it from the other direction, you know, aside from the, the call of the church to preach the gospel to all creation, um, coming at it from the, the civics side, that the government knows that religion is a strong motivator in people's lives. At least um, historically, the government does. Um, in, our, in our modern world, sometimes we like to downplay that. Um, but based on the First Amendment, um, that we have the free exercise of religion, that doesn't give religions the free exercise of politics. Um, that doesn't give religion the, the freedom to do and to mandate and to fulfill whatever they think their responsibility is. Because um, when we start getting into that business of enforcing mandates, um, you know, which is when we start getting into that, then we start risking giving up who we actually are. That, and and can you say that you're really operating as a church under First Amendment, the protection of the First Amendment, if you are acting in a way that is saying, well, you have to do this and you have to do that, and um, and we'll just call it a policy. <laughs> I love that because uh, policy precedent and poll make for bad practice. Um, and so if you have if you have a policy or you just appeal to precedent or you just take a poll, that means you unplug your brain and there that that really unplugs any opportunity for actual Christian love. Yeah. And then uh, just to wrap it up here, uh, like I said, we're going to be skipping the the pages on the vaccine, but I really want to encourage our listeners to to read this chapter and then focus on religious exemption. I don't know, Peter, if you were asked questions about this, but I received a lot of feedback from pastors, questions. Mm -hmm. Well, should we write religious exemption letters for people and so forth? I love this. And, and I always said, definitely, that is our job uh, because the Supreme, you, again, you're the Supreme Court expert as opposed to me, is what I would tell these brothers in the ministry is saying, the Supreme Court of our land 
they are not looking for whether it's our church or church body's specific religion uh, or that it has a statement on, say, this vaccine or that vaccine or whatever. That's not how this religious exemption works. If it is your personal religious, religiously held belief, then that is what they're looking for. And then, yes, we as pastors can write those letters. I know you want to say something about exactly. that. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Always, always. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> because number one, number one, the idea of something is a sincerely held belief. This was, um, I think, from the Little Sisters of the Poor or maybe the Hobby Lobby case where they, they came up with this concept or they at least codified this concept of a sincerely held belief, that a belief can be sincerely held um, even if it changes over time. Um, that that is part of the nature of religious religious faith that you know you you grow in your understanding or your app you grow in your uh, application as you come up with new things that you apply that truth to and so the number one question is this your sincerely held belief is it something that is a sincere faith or are you just trying to use subterfuge to um to put up a, a blocker for it well if it's a sincerely held belief it doesn't matter what your what your church what church or congregation you are a member of, it doesn't matter if you're an atheist. Um, I had I had somebody ask me, well, you know, Pastor Hagen, um, I have this question. You know, I've, I have a friend who isn't a member of our church, but she wants a religious exemption letter. Would you write one for her, or does she have to become a member of our church first, or at least come to church a couple of times? What do you need? Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? The First Amendment protects it as an individual right. This isn't a synodical right, a congregational right, a church body right. This is an individual right protected by our Constitution for its individual citizens. Um, and and so even if you consider yourself to be non-religious, that is still can still be. Um, can still be expressed as a religious belief because it is your sincerely held belief. And even if you used or, you know, use some other vaccines earlier in life, um, you know, like, you know, pertussis or, you know, MMR or any of those things, um, aside from the fact that it was a different mechanism. Um, but the, the fact that you got vaccines previously is not proof that you need to go ahead and, and, Go ahead with whatever your employer is mandating that you take now um, because the nature of religious belief is that it can grow and change over time that it doesn't change um in its substance but in ex in its expression of that belief yeah yeah i love that one <laughs> yeah and that's not a question i had in there in the study guide but i think it's something that's important I, this is a discussion i had with our grade school when you know the city of racine was saying schools you had to mask your students and you know so administration was wondering well what do we do with these parents that are coming in with their students with religious exemptions and i said you cannot disagree with them it doesn't matter if you don't believe that it's the same belief that's their personal belief if that's their conscience and if they they view that as a medical thing you can't go against it. You're going to bring the Supreme Court down on you when it's belief or conscience. And if you don't, if you disagree with their medical viewpoint on it, then you're making yourself a physician. You have no right to do those kinds of things. So I had to teach uh, our school administrators about that as well. And then with that, I want to encourage people to read the examples of religious exemptions that were in there. One was from a parent in our grade school, just saying, hey, this is 
what we believe, and therefore we're not going to do that. One was from a friend of mine who is a principal in a school in Milwaukee, and the city of Milwaukee was going to be reinstating the mask mandate. And I love what the principal put in there. Of He said to me, and I asked him if I could use his letter, and he, and he let me. Uh, he's, he told his his parents, well, because none of the teachers were for a mask mandate. And what he said, it's not our our job to enforce uh, the mandates of the government. And then the one that's really long is the one that I wrote for my daughter, Miriam, for her religious exemption from the vaccine uh, from the U.S. Army. And she was in the National Guard and the, uh, well, you know, ROTC. And she was denied like so many others were denied. She was not kicked out, but she did have, have to wait over a year for her pinning ceremony as a second lieutenant. And yet many have said this. And then her own commanding officers that read it said, this is the best religious exemption letter I've ever read. And that's because I borrowed it from a lot of other people and made an amalgamation for this letter. But I want people to use these things because, again, this is just a trial basis for all of this stuff, uh, you know, to uh, to use, you know, have this stuff uh, ready to go next time. Uh, and then two last things is because we were talking about this, I finished up on pages 159 and 160, our role as pastors, as teachers, as principals, as people is we are working for the divine physician. We stay in our lanes and we were getting out of our lanes when we were talking about what people should do if they're going to be in our Lutheran grade school, Lutheran high school, Lutheran churches. That's not our lane. Okay, Our lane is here's a divine physician. We are, we are working for him. Let's give the, the balm, the salve of Gilead of Jesus Christ to people. If they want to find physical salve and balm and vaccines or masks or whatever, that's on them to do their research. Anything else you want to add to that? No, I think okay. that uh, I just about covered it. All right. So then uh, I found this song the other day. Uh, I'm going to include this and put it on the Facebook page and on Twitter or X. And it's called Babylon Has Fallen. Have you ever heard it, Peter? Nope. All right. I'll share it with you. It's a Puritan pilgrim song. It's really cool. I, I kind of wonder why we don't have it in our hymnals. I'm sure it's uh, there's a good reason. It's got a, a good melody and so forth. It's very short, like a minute and a half, but it really is powerful of saying Babylon, which is the biblical description in Revelation of the church of the Antichrist, that it's fallen because Christ has come. So uh, I'll, I'll share that with the lyrics and so forth, but then we'll finish up with uh, an email I received uh, asking for the study guide. And then uh, Michael, who is a pastor, also writes, uh, thank you so much for the wonderful book and podcast. I especially enjoyed the pop culture references that serve as an example of interacting with culture without being overcome by it. It's also been enjoyable hearing from Peter as we were in school together and seeing his growth as a pastor. I especially appreciate you both challenging a boiler 
plate approach to Romans 13 and Christian quietism that has encouraged me to evaluate how I encourage my people in interacting with culture. So thank you, Michael. And the rest of the email was also talking about that. He's now the second pastor in two weeks that have found my book and then is using that for a discussion in their pastor's conference. So again, I encourage people get the word out about the book, let more and more people know about it so that we can continue this discussion. And I really appreciate that, that he, um, he basically said, you know what, this gave me some, something to work with, some grist for the mill to give this a little bit fuller consideration where it would be so easy um, for you know many of our pastors to just say, hey, that's what it is, so that's what I do. Um, but that the book spurred on further thought, study, and conversation. Yeah, that's the whole key. And then I think we're gonna have some good discussion with the next chapter when we get into the chapter on fear. So we'll, we'll see you all next week.